0: Welcome to People and Profit. I'm Kate Moody. Coming up, another round of paralyzing strikes in France ahead of the beginning of parliamentary debate on controversial pension reform. We look at what's at stake. The global economy may avoid recession this year, according to the latest projections from the IMF. We zero in on the forecast for African nations and how the slowdown will impact them. And in tropical Tahiti, a hospital seeks more climate-friendly air conditioning, powered by the surrounding seawater. Some 2.8 million people hit the streets across France in a second day of walkouts designed to protest the latest pension reform proposals. It's the second time President Emmanuel Macron has tried to overhaul France's generous pension system. His government argues that it will soon run out of money because of an aging population. Perhaps the most controversial element of the reform would raise the retirement age from its current 62 to 64 and increase from 42 to 43, the number of years that workers must pay into the system to qualify for a full pension. The bill also seeks to get rid of dozens of sector-specific pension systems, although there would be exceptions for those with physically demanding jobs, and it would raise the minimum monthly payout to 1,200 euros. I spoke to French Finance Minister Bruno Le Maire after the first round of strikes in January. He said lawmakers would debate possible changes to the proposals, but that his government would not be derailed by public opposition.
1: Uh, we are determined and uh, we are fully convinced that this reform, this uh, pension reform, is a necessity to guarantee this uh, pension system for the next generations. So everybody can understand that there are some protests. We are a big democracies, so uh, there are opponents, but we will stand firm.
0: Let's bring in François Girolf, economist at Sciences Po and the research body OFCE. Thank you for joining us on set today. You're welcome. What is different about this bill in particular, compared to the plan from Emmanuel Macron's first term, uh, which he abandoned at the start of the pandemic in 2020?
1: So that one was very different. It was a complete overhaul of the system. You know, the French system, the French pension system is very complicated. Each one is in each one of them. Uh, pension schemes, uh, this time it's less of an overhaul. It's just changing uh, the parameters of the system and saying that people will have to work longer. So it's less ambitious in a sense.
0: His government argues that the pension system is heading for a steep deficit, uh, although last year it did actually bring in about €3 billion Euros more than it spent. Yes. How serious is the funding problem?
1: So this is the controversial uh, issue, which is, so people have arguments about that. Uh, I think that the, there is a deficit, it's true, over the next uh, 15 years. Uh, the question is whether it's a big deficit, and I think the the, the answer is no, uh, the deficit will rise, according to experts, between 0.5 and 1 percent of GDP, which is a large, a sizable deficit, but not as large as the current complete deficit we have in France, which is more like five or six percent of GDP. So, at the same time, you know there is a deficit, but at, at the same time, it's not you know it you don't have you don't need a complete overhaul of the system in order to save it, like you've heard from uh, the government. It's not true that the system is in jeopardy. You know, uh, we've had a deficit for very long. We always reach above the limit. So people are asking, why don't you just, uh, why don't you do the same thing for the pension?
0: Many unions say these proposals are unfair to perhaps low skilled, lower paid workers, people who get into the workforce earlier on. Do you worry that these reforms, if enacted, could deepen inequality in France?
1: Yeah, so that's a risk. So it's true that people who have started to work early, are more impacted by the reform, but by the part that's the age limit. Because if you move the age limit from 62 to 64, those who will be more impacted are those who started to work early. Typically someone with a university degree that ends school at 23. Uh, already has to work for 42 or 43 uh, years, and so we'll have to stop at 66. That's a person who is not impacted by the reform, going from 62 to 64. People who are uh, typically less high skilled, uh, that that uh, left school much earlier, are going to be more impacted by this reform.
0: And what about the impact on women?
1: Yeah, so there's a there's a I mean that's a clear issue where uh, women typically get two years. Every time that they have a child in France, they have two more years. As a credit their, towards their, their
0: contributions.
1: 42 mm-hmm. or 43 minimum uh, mm-hmm. time that they have to work to get a full pension. Uh, so they will also be more impacted by the going from 62 to 64 because because of, of this bonus, typically they, they can reach... Uh, uh, the retirement age at 62, uh, they can get a full pension at 62. And so now they will have to work two years uh, more. So that's going to impact uh, women much more than men. And in this way, I think the reform is seen as really unfair uh, to women, which is true.
0: Do you think that this reform to the pension system is necessary? And perhaps more importantly, is it necessary right now at a time when French households and businesses are facing a cost of living crisis?
1: Yeah, so that's a really good question. So that this is, uh, I think there's a political element to it whether macron could do it later in the term uh, some people i think in the government think that this is a hard reform to do that you need to do right when you are elected because because otherwise you will never do it uh, but it's true it doesn't feel like that's something that france really uh, needs urgently now because as i said i think that the deficit is actually not that large i mean Especially the deficit of the pension reform. And if I had to find justification for such reform, I think I would say that France lives above its mean. The trade deficit is really large. I think that would be a much more convincing way, perhaps, to defend the reform. And I'm not sure why the government is not using such arguments that would be, at least for me, more convincing.
0: I want to ask you about the power of protest in France. Those huge strikes that we saw at the end of 2019 and 2020 contributed to the decision to give up on pension reform at the time. But it's something we've seen in past decades as well, mm. uh, notably in 1995 with Jacques Chirac. Yes. Yeah, so
1: 2019, 2020, you had the COVID crisis, right, which put a, a halt to the reform. I think that the intention of the government was to pursue uh, this reform, but it's true with, with with Jacques Chirac, you know, the last one was in 1995 where uh, Jacques Chirac has, had actually to withdraw uh, the reform, so the protests were successful uh, we've seen that the last protests were like more than 1 million people uh, were in the street that's really large, which means that uh, uh, the opinion is largely against uh, this reform, the question is whether the government is going to take the risk uh, to go ahead.
0: François Girol, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: You're welcome, thank you
0: while well, the global economy will likely avoid recession this year, but economic growth is slowing and inflation remains a burden for households and businesses. That's the warning from the International Monetary Fund's latest outlook. It forecasts global growth of 2.9 percent in 2023, with advanced economies growing at a slower pace of 1.2 percent and emerging market and developing economies outperforming at 4 percent. Well, Charles Pellegrin has been taking a closer look at what's in store for the African continent. What's the overall outlook for growth in African economies?
2: Well, growth across uh, the continent bottomed out in 2022 in the wake of the COVID pandemic, and the sluggish forecasts for this year are actually due to what's happening in the developed world. In sub-Saharan Africa, the IMF estimates GDP growth will remain moderate at 3.8 percent and will pick up in 2024, reaching 4.1 percent. Nigeria's economy is projected to grow 3.2 percent this year, thanks to measures to ensure better security in the oil sector. South Africa, meanwhile, could see its GDP halve to 1.2% because of weaker external demand, power shortages, and structural constraints.
0: Many African countries are also facing a cost-of-living crisis, uh, with food and energy prices in particular rising.
2: Persisting inflation is one of the uh, downside risks mentioned in the IMF report, especially with the war in Ukraine's continued impact on oil, gas, and food, and a rebound in China, which could potentially drive up global prices further. Uh, The Economist Intelligence Unit estimates inflation in sub-Saharan Africa will average 12.5% in 2023, slower than the 14.5% rate of 2022, but still higher than any other region in the world. And countries like Nigeria, Ethiopia, and Ghana have seen inflation of 20% or more. One exception is South Africa, whose central bank tightened monetary policy in 2021 and has seen inflation of about 8% last year.
0: Talk us through some of the longer-term risk factors.
2: Well, the World Bank sees uh, reduced investment uh, caused by higher interest rates as a big stumbling block when it comes to growth in emerging and developing economies. Over the next two years, gross investment in these economies is likely to grow by about 3.5% on average. as half the rate that prevailed in the previous two decades. Another vulnerability is uh, high debt levels combined with higher borrowing costs, especially in dollars. Uh, In sub-Saharan Africa, in the first quarter of 2023, 23.4% of countries are judged to be at severe risk of default. and Overall, at least 70% face an elevated risk of default.
0: Charles Belliran, thanks so much for that. Well, tropical temperatures are the norm in French Polynesia, meaning that healthcare facilities spend huge amounts on air conditioning. One hospital in Tahiti has recently made the switch to a more cost effective and environmentally friendly system run entirely on seawater. Brian Quinn has more.
3: The skies over Tahiti may sometimes be cloudy, but temperatures are high year round. If there's one place that needs to stay cool, it's the Papete Hospital. And it does, thanks to the ocean. The hospital sits less than 200 meters from the beach, a proximity that allows it to use seawater for its air conditioning. Every second, 300 liters are pumped out of and back into the sea. The water comes in at 4.7 degrees and goes to the heat exchangers. The water is pumped from 900 meters deep, It cools the hospital's air-conditioning water to 7 degrees Celsius. The system is called a SWAC for seawater air-conditioning. Its inventor has been working on the technology for some 15 years. It works in Tahiti because deep water is easily accessible here due to the steep topography of the seabed characteristic of volcanic islands.
0: You have to imagine that the mountains that rise out of the sea also exist underwater. Our pipes cross the lagoon. Underneath us, we have the intake system.
3: The pipes represent the lion's share of the system's 31 million euro total cost. Since the installation of the SWAC, the hospital has sharply reduced its energy requirements.
1: We were using around 9.2 million kilowatt hours to cool the building. Now we're at 900,000. We've cut our energy requirements for the hospital's air conditioning by a factor of 10.
3: The system is already in use by two hotels in French Polynesia. It's now being studied for use on other volcanic islands, like the French territory of Réunion.
0: That's all for now. Don't forget you can find this and our previous shows on the France 24 website, or as a podcast wherever you usually listen. You can also get in touch with your comments and questions on social media. Until next time, thanks for watching.